Hey everyone, this is Josh, host of the Urban Ballard Podcast. Today's guest is retired Marine Corporal Josue Barron. Josue grew up in Los Angeles, California. He found a sense of purpose getting involved with gangs at a young age and looked to the older gangsters as role models in his life. Josue eventually saw no future in gangs and enlisted into the Marine Corps to change the direction of his life. He was eager to go to war and volunteered to go on a combat tour to Afghanistan. Josue endured heavy combat in Afghanistan and suffered a life-altering explosion, making him an amputee. He has since found purpose in sports and competes at the highest level in paracycling, representing Team USA. If you enjoyed this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out on Instagram at TV, or you could email me at josh at urbanvalor.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Josue Barron. I was a Marine from 2007 and got medically retired in 2013. I got out as a corporal. So I'm originally from LA, a small city called Cudahy. When I was there, um, nothing but immigrant families and nothing but gangs in that area. So growing up in, in that environment and being raised by a single mom, I found the streets to kind of like be my, my outlet and I got involved in gangs and, and I thought that that's what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Getting involved in, in gangs at a young age, I just felt like it was a part of my environment and I, I felt like it was normal because everybody in, in my neighborhood was from somewhere. And I, th- I felt like the older you got and the longer you were in the streets, it was just going to pick you up right away. And that's what happened to me. I, I started getting involved with my friends and, um, and they were already part of something. So I was like, how do I get in? I want to be part of this. I want, I want a brotherhood. I want, um, I want to grow into, into the streets. Being involved in, in gangs and crews at a young age, it gives you a purpose. I, I guess for me, it gave me a purpose and, just being part of something, being part of a group. And, and for most of us that don't have uh, male role models, we find them in older homies. I found all these role models and I was easily influenced. And I was, I was motivated by trying to build a name for myself. And you can make one mistake and you can go to jail for the rest of your life. You can get killed or just your life just gets ruined with just one mistake. I don't know, it was leading me into a, a whole different world that, that, that wasn't going to end well. Being around guys who, I, who were going through the same thing that I was going through just felt normal. I had a gun. I had, um, I had protection. I had everything. And now it was, it was up to me and my friends, homies, to, to try to control the streets and try to build a name for ourselves. And we were so young that uh, we had nothing to lose. As you get older in a gang, obviously you start having kids, a family, and things start getting harder for you to do in the streets. And you start thinking about things twice. For us, we were 14, 15, so we had nothing to lose. And I remember carrying a gun and just going to different places and just waiting for me to use it. And one time, um, could have been the time that I, that I was going to take somebody out. And, and I remember we, we knew where the guys that we didn't get along with lived, in what area they hung out. So I remember we would do our normal, our normal patrols and we would just try to look for these guys. And I remember one time I told my friend, Hey, these guys hang out in this block, in this corner, we're going to drive there. I'm going to get off. I'm going to walk up to them, shoot them. And then you just keep driving, meet me in the opposite corner. I'll get in and take off. And we get to that point. We see two guys hanging out in the corner. He pulls up. He drops me off a couple houses down. I get off. I load the gun. And there's two guys with hoodies just talking. I walk up to him and I'm like, where are you guys from? And I was waiting for those magic words to come out where they were from. And if it was a crew that we didn't get along with and they take the hoodies out and they look at me and they're young, young kids. 
And I'm like, fuck, I put my gun back in my waist and I take off running and I get back in the car and I'm like, nah, they're not enemies. But the crazy part is that you get caught up in, in that environment because you dress that's that way. You know, you look like a gang member, even if you're not a gang member, but you're dressed a certain way, you're already kind of targeted. And that's where a lot of people get killed, mistakenly killed and, um, wrong place at the wrong time because they fit this profile that other gang members are targeting. I'm glad that I never killed those guys. I, I've had opportunities and some way, somehow something went wrong and, and I never killed anybody. And, and for me, I can sleep at night comfortable knowing that I didn't take an innocent life away. Yeah, I, I knew um, that this lifestyle wasn't going to last and I didn't want to be a part of it forever. When I, when I got to like my senior year of high school, um, I was raised by a single mom and I had six brothers and sisters. So I, I always had this um, tip on my shoulder of, of trying to help my mom, you know, trying to always find money to bring to the house and try to get her out of the neighborhood. And I knew that staying in the streets and living the lifestyle that I was living, it wasn't going to get me nowhere. I was giving my mom a lot of problems that she didn't need. So what inspired me to join the military was a friend that I, um, that I grew up with. I feel like he loved playing video games. He loved uh, military movies. And one day he just told me, hey, let's join the, let's join the military. And I was like, man, I mean, it, it sounds good to me. I, I, I don't have anything going on. I don't see myself going to college. I don't, I don't have anything prepped for, for the future. If somebody gives me an opportunity right now, I'll take it. And we called the army recruiters. They came to the house because I thought that the army was everything. I didn't know there was a Marine Corps. I didn't know there was a Navy. I didn't know there was different branches. I just thought that the army was everything. And they come to my house. They, um, they see a bunch of young bald guys, 501s, Nike Cortez, white shirt, and they just don't seem interested. They're like, nah, I mean, we're not gonna pick up a bunch of gang members and put them in the military. So they didn't, they didn't seem interested, they left. And next thing you know, my friend, uh, that same guy, he tells me about the Marine Corps and there's a, a, a station in Downey. And from there, we met two good recruiters, uh, Sergeant Felix and Sergeant Renteria. And they took it serious. Being in a, in a recruiting station for the first time, I didn't take it serious. I, I didn't. I had no bearing, like they would want us to stand at attention. And me and my friend are just trying not to laugh. We're like, is this shit serious? We had no discipline. We had no structure. We had, we had none of that. So standing there going to these PTs with them and they're trying to work us out and they're trying to give us a little taste of the military. We're not taking it serious. Um, we're just laughing the whole time. And they could have gave up on us. They could have been like, man, they're not in yet. Why are we even bothering with these guys? But they, they kept us in the loop and they would call us. They're like, hey, you guys want to go paintball shooting? You guys want to go on a, on a run, on a hike? And I was like, man, I've never done none of this shit before. And it kind of felt good. You know, it kind of felt good to have different people um, inviting you to places and kind of just know, me knowing that it wasn't any danger. Like when I was hanging out with my homies, I knew that we were going to get in trouble. I knew that something was going to happen that day that could either get me killed or I'm going to go to jail. So having those guys in my corner and kind of just believing in me and keeping me busy helped me so much. And next thing you know, um, they're picking me up September 4th, 2007, and I'm going straight to boot camp. So when I got to boot camp in uh, 2007, I had this street mentality. So for me, I, I was always wise and I always, I can read people. I, I, was, I was from the streets, you know, and, and going into, um, into the military, the hardest part for me was having discipline, learning to just shut up and be quiet when they're screaming at you, like learning to not um, fight back because I'm in a system already where there's nothing I could do. I'm here. And if I try to argue with these, with these guys, if I try to 
show any force, I'm either going to get in trouble or, you know, something's going to go wrong. So I understood that I had to be quiet and just listen, do my job, and I was going to get by. But I had that um, street mentality. So when everybody would go to chow, me and my friend ended up being the artist recruits. So everybody would go to chow. And I was like, man, I'm going to open all these wall lockers. I'm going to take everybody's money. Because I think during that time, they they had us go to boot camp with a little pouch and they had cash in it. And everybody put them in the left side of the their little wall locker or whatever. And I would tell my friend, hey, go, go stand security while I patrol these, um, while I go through these foot lockers. And I would just, they were all locked up with the padlock. I would just pick them up, open them, the little corner, reach in, get the pouch. And then next thing you know, I got $300 in cash. And, and none of these guys could say anything because nobody wants to speak up. Nobody wants to complain. Nobody wants to, attention. So nobody said nothing. And, and that's, that was the kind of um, mindset I had going into, into boot camp. It was just like, what can I get out of this? What am I going to come up with just trying to be sneaky this whole, this whole time? I wasn't transformed yet into a, into a Marine. I didn't understand what it was to be a Marine. I, I just felt like I was in jail and I was going to get out soon and things were going to be over. I didn't really understand that, man, that committed to this. This is my life now. This is, um, this is what you can possibly doing for, be doing for the next 20 years. And this is your career now. I just saw it one day at a time. And I was like, how am I going to survive? Just the same way that I thought in the streets, how am I going to survive? My whole life was just survival mode. You know, I, one thing that I recall from boot camp is I've never woken up early. You know what I mean? Like that early for Firewatch. So I remember a couple of weeks into boot camp, I was sick. And obviously when you're a civilian and you're sick and you're young, you're like, I don't, I'm not going to get up. I'm tired. So they wake me up at two in the morning. They're like, hey, Josue, you got Firewatch. And I remember that, that feeling. I was like, man, I'm so sick. I don't want to get up. And it was the first time in my life where I had to get up. There was no question about it. There was no, there was no, oh man, you know, I'll do it later. Give me a couple minutes. It was like, nope, I have to get up. And it was like, man, I didn't want to do this, but I got up, I woke up, I did my hour of firewatch, and then I went back to sleep. But it was the stepping stone to me finding that discipline in me. I didn't get to pick my job in the military. Uh, I also believe that everything was infantry. <laughs> so I go into uh, the recruiting station and I'm just like, I'm ready to join. They're like, okay, you're going to go on open contract. And I was like, okay, well, I guess. So I didn't really educate myself with the military. I just took everything and I, ro I rolled with the punches and I was like, wherever I end up, I end up. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to go to war. I'm going to... I'm going to be an infantry guy. And next thing you know, I end up in um, MCRD San Diego. And by the time I graduated, they're calling everybody's MOS and they're like, hey, you're 100. And I'm like, what the fuck's 100? They're like, oh, 311. And I'm like, okay. So the whole time I felt like I was going to be infantry. I went open contract and I ended up being infantry. Checking into um, 3rd Battalion 5th Marines was was interesting. <laughs> I remember they were in Iraq in, um, in 2008. I got to, to San Mateo, which that's where we're stationed in Camp Pendleton. And I got there and it was so quiet. I was like, man, this, is, this isn't bad. I was like, we're, we have our, our schedule. We're waking up, training, doing our thing. And the next thing you know, they get back from um my rack they're like oh the guys are coming back today let's welcome them in and as soon as they got off that bus the hazing started what the fuck just happened we, they, they get off the bus and we go from walking to places all comfortable to running to places they're screaming at us the whole time and i hadn't i had no idea what i got myself into i never understood hazing I never understood um, how can you as a, as a man 
try to humiliate another man. So I understood that that um, there's traditions. I understood that there's ways to um, to check somebody and make somebody do what you want want them to do and to be a leader. But some of the the things that these guys were doing weren't right. They weren't right. They were like they will go into our rooms, um, wake us up in the middle of the night, make us drink beer, and just pound beer after beer just so they could have fun, just so they could entertain themselves. They would spit on the floor and be like, hey, pick it up with your hand. I remember one incident where one of them, a, a white boy got tired of his burrito and um, he's like, here, you eat it, you're Mexican. And and to me, it was, I I grew up to to hate that. You know, I grew up to like hate some of these guys because I was like, man, that's not, you don't do this to somebody, you know, like I don't mind working out, training hard, you being in the position that you are and me being a young Marine. I understand that there's rules. I understand that, that I'm not going to fight these rules and I, and I'm going to do everything that I can to make all this shit work. But when you're taking advantage of people, when you're um, hurting people, another incident too was I had a friend, uh, he didn't speak well English. And he had an accent and they would always give him a hard time. And I remember one time they took him into the room and they started making him do push-ups, and then they started kicking him in the ribs. And to me, it was just like, man, you're abusing this power. You know what I mean? You're, you, this is too far. And some of them have never even been to combat. Like in 07, 08, they went to Iraq, but there was nothing going on. So for me, it was like, how, how the fuck do you guys, how do you guys justify this? this behavior you know i'm like i know we're marines i know we're all threes but there's a way to get these guys uh trained and 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 me being a young marine and me not being far away from home i still had the street mentality right so i would come to the barracks and and i wanted to kill people i was like man it's so easy for me to come back to camp pendleton with a gun and shoot these, like, I don't even have to go to the army to go get a gun. I have a gun. You know what I mean? I could, I, if they come into my room, fuck with me at night, I could pull this shit out and just shoot one of these motherfuckers, you know? But I knew that I had to separate the two worlds. I knew that the Marine Corps and the, the life in LA were two different worlds. And I wanted to be in the Marine Corps. I wanted to um, stay loyal. I wanted to um, make this shit work. What, what it took, for me to get through that stage, obviously, is time. Time, there's only so much that you can take and there's only so much that they can fuck with you, you know? Like, eventually, it, starts, it softens up a little bit, right? Um, but for me, it was more like standing up for myself. They, they saw a leader in me. They saw somebody who wasn't gonna back down. So another incident, too, was one of my seniors wanted me to pick up cigarette buds and uh and i was like fuck i guess you know that's that's fine with me like we're young marines this is what we do so i'm over here picking up cigarette buds and next thing you know he calls me and he's like hey, in front of his friends and he's like hey, call me daddy from now on and i'm like fuck in my mind i'm like fuck no i'm not calling you daddy like that can't even come out of my mouth you know like even if i want to that shit can't even come out and i'm like no and then he's like bitch you better fucking call me daddy and i'm like nope and then he got me by my fucking shirt. He picked me up and he stopped me against the wall. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. And then eventually they separated me and another guy that kind of stood his ground too. And they're like, we're not fucking with these guys no more. Now we're going to start eating up all these other guys. I remember our first workup was like two months, three months later, because they still had to go on leave after they came back from, um, from Iraq. So I remember they're like, you guys are going on another meal. Oh, you guys are going on a meal because they had just, they had done Iraq back to back. And they're like, you guys are going on a meal, on a meal now. And I didn't understand what a meal was. And, and I was like, fuck, I don't want to go on a meal. Like I'm, we're getting treated like shit because we haven't earned our stripes yet. And we're going to go on a fucking meal. It's like, no, I, I want to go to Iraq. I want to go fight a war, earn my stripes. You know, I want to earn my respect. Because in the infantry, no matter how you look at it, motherfuckers don't respect you until you've done something. And to them, something is deployed, been in combat, going to a meal, I was like, fuck, I don't want this shit. And we, we started the workup for that. We ended up going at 29 Palms. 
We went to Bridgeport. Some of the hardest training that I've ever done was in uh, Bridgeport because it was so cold, a lot of snow, and just working in that environment. I've never, I've never been in that environment. Uh, but that was probably some of the hardest training I've ever done. W- whenever I look at something hard, training like the way we did in Bridgeport, 29 Palms, it don't seem too hard to me because I know I'm not the only one going through it. There's all these guys going through all this and there's always somebody who's having it worse than you. So when I was out there, um, it was tough, but I always re- just fed off people. And I'm like, man, this was crying over here. This guy doesn't want to be here anymore. It wasn't hard for me. One of the incidents that we did have over there was, uh, his name was uh, Sergeant Wyatt. We were doing a training exercise and we all had the the BFAs on our um, on our rifle, right? The little red cap that, that you put in there because it's just training. And that morning um, they gave everybody blanks and it was like three in the morning before we, we started that. Um, when we woke up, it was like three in the morning. They gave everybody blanks and they were all in an ammo can. So everybody had to get a, a pile with their hand and then just load up your magazine. But it, it was dark. And the next thing you know, we start the exercise like at seven in the morning and we're supposed to do buddy team rushes. And then the trainers are, they're in front of us hiding. And next thing you know, we're shooting and a round goes on, a real round goes off. And they're like, cease fire, cease fire. Everybody form it up, get in line. And everybody has their rifle and they're looking through the, through the little BFA and his has a hole through it and he ended up shooting one of the trainers he shot him on the on the arm but it barely grazed him starting that 31st meal was interesting because obviously my mindset was war my mindset was go fight and use all the training that you had been training for so we get to Okinawa and uh we're just training we're just training and we're getting freedom in these fucking different countries. Guys are getting in trouble. Guys are doing stupid things. They're just dumb. Like it's like a bunch of fucking kids. Um, you let them loose, and everybody's just fucking getting in trouble. You know, they're like they like they've never been anywhere before. And obviously, the military will start putting rules, and they'll start putting, oh, you can't go out by yourself, or you can't go out with not even a buddy anymore. You gotta hold, take your whole fucking squad with you when you go out. <laughs> That's, that, that would prevent you guys from getting in trouble. So we're walking down the Philippines with fucking my whole squad, my squad leader, my dad fucking holding my hand. And just because one motherfucker, two motherfuckers made mistakes, you know, I was only 18 during that time. And I just felt like I was still a kid too. Being on ship, I think we just fought a lot. And I remember I wanted to go work at the kitchen. I wanted to go work at the kitchen because I was going to work with the chiefs. The, I think it was like E7 and above. And we were being in the kitchen. Obviously, you, you have power. And the way I think, I'm like, man, if you have resources, um, you have power. So I wanted to go to the kitchen. I ended up going to the kitchen working for the chiefs. And I'm over there eating omelets. I'm over there eating. Um, I'm eating good. You know what I mean? Because we're feeding these, these E7s and above. So I will come back to the, to the birthing area with snacks, with ice cream. I was the guy that had, um, that had supplies, you know? That's the kind of mentality I, I, I've always had. I was like, man, how am I gonna make, um, make myself happy around here? How am I gonna make myself um, you know, useful? It was definitely a good experience, but it was something that I think at the end of the day, I didn't need and I didn't want. So when I get back from the 31st meal, um, obviously we go on leave and, and when we get back, they're like, man, you guys are going on another meal. And then I was like, fuck, like, what, like really another meal? So we start just doing basic, uh, training there in Camp Pendleton in the backyard. We call it the backyard. And a couple months into it, um, they're like, there's a unit, there's a group that's trying to take infantry Marines to Afghanistan for a whole year for security. And 
I was like, man, we're going on a meal. I, I want to sign up for this. I was like, I want to go. Even if it's a year, I don't care. I want to go. And they start hitting up the platoons and they're like, oh, you guys could let go of these many guys so they can go join that team and be security. And I told my squad leader, I was like, hey, I want to go with them. Um, can I go? And by that time, I'm already a team leader. And and he's like, nah, you know, I'm not letting my good my my team leaders or my squad leaders go. Like, they could take all the shit bags. <laughs> and next thing you know, they took all the shit bags, most of them. And my opportunity that I thought going to Afghanistan was gone. And not even like four weeks later, they're like, hey, you guys are going to Afghanistan now. And I was like, yes. We started taking things serious and we're like, okay, now... Now we're gonna work up for this um, for this deployment, and the the training is gonna be different. And here we go. I mean, I was motivated. I was motivated. Um, I was ready to go to combat. And next thing you know, we're in uh, twenty nine Palms and going through that hard training too. I mean, it was it was tough. And I remember when I got there, I saw my um, we did the kill house and. I saw my first amputee, he came, a guy came out to talk to us and he, he had a prosthetic. Then I was like, damn, man, that's crazy. Like, shit, he's missing a leg. He got hit in Iraq and he's telling us a story. And, and I remember that day not knowing like it can happen to us. I took it serious, but I also thought it was, it, nothing could happen to me or anybody. Came back home and, um, and we're ready to deploy in, deployed to Afghanistan. So Afghanistan, um, we flew, we got to March Air Force Base and uh, we flew to uh, Kyrgyzstan, I think first. We settled down there for a couple of days and then from there we flew to Leatherneck. I remember being in Camp Leatherneck and they're like, you guys are gonna replace 3-7. And I was like, okay. And I'm seeing people at the Chaha with nice camis, they, they look fresh. Some of these guys are buff walking around cause they just hit the gym. And then I remember seeing um, these younger guys with some dirty ass camis and they just looked like they, they were in hell, you know? And they just, look, they looked different. And I remember looking at them and, um, and then my, my squad leader was like, hey, those are the guys that we're replacing. And it, just thinking about it, it gave me chills, you know? I was like, man, like these guys don't look normal. <laughs> They don't look normal. And it was because they already had been through all this shit in, um, in Sangin, where they were at before uh, they got back to Leatherneck. So that kind of already gave me a feeling of like, man, these guys are different. I mean, at this point, I didn't know what my mission was. I, I just knew that we were doing the rip before Lima Company goes in, which we were the last ones. India Company took one KIA already. So I'm like, oh shit, like we already have one KIA. We're barely doing the rip. And that's when I knew I'm like, fuck, okay, it's serious now. It's serious and, um, and let's go. But I was ready, I was hungry. I was like, fuck, God, this is what I asked for. You know, this is what I asked for, this is what I want. And let's get it over with. The first mission I went on, I remember my squad leader or my platoon commander, Lieutenant Kelly, he told all the squad leaders, hey, I need all the squad leaders to go out and then pick a couple of your team leaders to go out with us too. That way we can get familiar with the area and then these guys could tell us what's going on. I remember I put on my shit and, um, and some of my friends stayed behind. And that was like the first time anybody was ever going to leave that fob for the first time to patrol. And I remember I looked back and I was like, hey, motherfuckers, I'll be back. I'm going to go earn my combat action ribbon. And next thing you know, we, we go out there and we get in our first firefight. And to me, I was like, I was it, I was like, uh, this is it. So, so we were on patrol, just kind of like talking to the guys from 3-7 and just, hey, look, this is where we get contact most of the time. Be careful here, there's IEDs here and, and shit's going on here. And the next thing you know, we just hear a machine gun, boom, 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 boom. And the guys on this side are taking contact this squad starts communicating with my squad and then we just start coming up with a game plan. We're like, hey, we're on this side, you guys flank them on this side. So we're just starting our 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 mission. You know, we're like everything we worked that we worked that um now 
let's go execute. And I remember we were taking contact from one of the compounds that was in front of us. And we ended up calling air support and we're hiding behind the berm, shooting, shooting at the house. And next thing you know, we call, we call in air support. They roll up and they just fucking explode that fucking compound. And next thing you know, they're like, oh, there's four confirmed killed. And I was like, oh, shit. That was a good feeling. And I came back. I was excited. I was like, oh, shit, man. That was the best feeling I ever had, you know? Just the adrenaline, just the, the, the blood running, running through your veins, you know, just knowing that somebody's trying to kill you and, um, and you survived, you know? Now I'm like, okay, there's going to be a long deployment. But I had no idea that it was going to continue, 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 continue. And every day there was a firefight. Somebody was getting killed and, um, or somebody was stepping on ID. And, um, and it just got to the point where I was like, fuck, when am I going to get hit? You know, when is my time coming? So I already had a feeling that um, something was going to happen. We went out on a patrol and um, my friend um, Faust, he was our first uh, amputee who stepped on an IED. So we're patrolling and we come into this abandoned compound and the wall is dividing me and our guys. So my team comes through this side of the wall and the other team is on this side. So we're both pushing through. And next thing you know, I hear a boom and we just freeze. And I, we knew somebody stepped on an ID. So now it's like, how are we going to get to them? So we don't want to run back because we don't know how many IEDs are in the area. So we're slowly getting to them. And as soon as we, we saw a little hole through the wall, he, he's over there screaming. He's like, fuck, I got hit. So at that point, I'm like, fuck, we just ran to him. And we, I put a tourniquet on him stopped the bleeding and I remember um he was like he had a note in his pocket for his wife that he had just married um and he said hey man can you please give this to my to my wife and I was like man you're not gonna die you know you you're all right you're all right and um next thing you know just put his tourniquets caught a helo and they picked them up and took them but that's that was my first um Amputee, the first time I had to put a tourniquet, the first time I felt blood in my hands. Uh, that, was, that was the first time. And, and it kind of made me feel like, okay, if this happened to him, it happened to me too. Two weeks later, um, my best friend, Gallegos, he was one of my best friends. And um, he, he had gone on the mule with me. Um, we, we were here and singing together. His squad, which is second squad, I'm first squad, they go out on a patrol. And I remember I'm, I'm in, in the fob just chilling and I hear a big old boom. And I already knew somebody stepped on an ID. And I didn't know who it was until they called on the radio. They're like, hey, uh, Sergeant Tani and um, Gallegos got hit. And I was like, fuck. And, and they're like, we need, quick, uh, we need a QRF. So I put my shit on and I get a team and they're like, let's go. Let's go um, pop them out. We get there and um, next thing you know, uh, Gallegos had lost his arm and um, Florentani had lost half of his body. I already had a feeling that Florentani was going to pass away that day. I didn't know about Gallegos because he had just lost his arm. And um, they take him, we get back to the fob, we're, we're chilling, eating chow. And the next thing you know on the radio, they're like, hey, um, Florentani didn't make it. And that was our first KIA. Sergeant Tani was our first KIA for my platoon. And then along the way, there was other um, weapons company. One of the MRAPs hit an IED. All four other guys were killed. And there were two of them were my peers. I knew them from, um, from boot camp, SY, and I knew who they were. And um, they got killed. And, and now comes my time, you know, October 21st. It was late at night, one of the snipers saw somebody digging and during that time anybody who was digging we it was so hot already that anybody out by 10 was already a threat anybody at night was already a threat the sniper ends up shooting them and kills one of those guys digging and there was no point for him to be out he he, he was 100 percent doing something bad 
And we couldn't patrol at night. There was a rule now that like at night, you guys can't patrol because it's too dark. We can't see at the floor. And um, they're like, in the morning, I want you guys to get a team and go pick up that body and recover it. Make sure that we get, um, we get intel, we get um, a report because we don't want to come back and say, oh, somebody just died uh, for nothing or it was just a waste. As soon as the sunrise comes up, uh, my squad leader tells my friend um, Weimer, his first um, team leader, he's like, hey, Weimer, get your team and um, let's go. Weimer and his team just got out of fire watch and I was laying down and I was like, fuck. I was like, hey, Weimer, I'll go. You know, I'm like, I'll go, I'll go with my team and and don't worry about it. And Sergeant O was like, all right, just keep, just give me any team. And I was like, okay, in less than three minutes, I'm fucking all geared up, ready to go, me and my guys. And we come out of the fob and we get to where the guy was supposed to be laying down. And, and I just see the brush like flat and there's blood, but the body wasn't there anymore. So my engineer is sweeping. He's the point guy. He's making sure that we don't step on an IED. And we get to that to the, to the area. We don't see nothing. We get pictures. I get my report. Um, we get all the info that I need. And next thing you know, we're like, fuck it, let's go back. Let's take the same route we took because Sergeant Tani and Gallegos got hit in the same area. We're like, we don't want to step on another IED. So we go back to, through the same path that, um, that we cleared. And my engineer, um, Lance Corporal Menza, he was, I don't know, he was just taking too long. And he, he's a young kid. He was only 19 or 18. And he's sweeping, but taking his time. And then Sergeant O, which is my my squad leader, he he's like he's like get the fuck out the way or some shit. And he's like he takes point. And the next thing you know, me and Lance Copemenza just fucking blow up. We just fucking blow up, and I can hear um, Menza screaming loud as fuck. And he just he lost both of his legs, and me. I, I'm completely blind because the shrapnel of that IED hit my face and it hit my left leg, but I'm completely blind. And I remember just bleeding out and um, Sergeant O, he was close to us too, that he got a concussion, but he was able to come back to. He, he crawled to me and he put a tourniquet and then our doc, Doc Fedorov, he wasn't far, he was holding security. He rolls up too and he starts putting another tourniquet and I'm like, I'm like, fuck, I was so pissed. I was like, fuck, like I knew I wasn't going to die. A lot of people talk about, oh shit, I saw, I saw God, I saw a fucking a white sky and I don't know what. Like, no, I knew I wasn't going to die. I was, I was pissed. I'm out of the fucking game. You know, that, that was my only, um, my only issue, the only complaint I had, I was like, fuck, I'm out. Like it's game over for me. Like I'm, I'm going home or that's it. And I was so pissed because I didn't want to leave. I was like, I don't want to leave. It's early into our deployment. Um, why, why me? And next thing you know, um, they call the helo, they pick me up and, and I'm out. I end up, uh, getting transferred to, uh, Lanzstow, Germany. And then from Lanzstow, Germany, I get sent to uh, Bethesda Medical Center in Maryland. And that's where I wake up and, and I'm still blind. Um, I have, both my eyes are fucking popping out because they took shrapnel and the nurse had to loop both, both of my eyes every two hours to make sure they were moist, but they weren't closing. And my leg was completely gone and my wife was there. So they flew my wife from, um, from LA um, because from the time I got hit to the time I got to Bethesda in, in, um, in the East coast, I had made a stop in Germany. So between that, the lines are like, your husband's going to get to this point in a couple of days. You can meet him there. You know, my wife was only 19 years old when, um, when I got hit. Right. And, and we had just gotten together a year before that. Like I met her when I came back from that meal and we got married right away. I didn't even know if it was going to work out. I didn't even know what it was to be a married man. I, I just knew that I was in love. Next thing you know, I get hit and there's this 19 year old girl standing by 
a man she just met a year ago who lost his leg. She don't know what the fuck is going to happen next, but she's there, you know, holding his hand and standing by his side and ready for what's what's next, you know? So when I woke up at the hospital, I, um, I couldn't see anything. And I knew that I had gotten hit, but the doctor was like, oh, you lost your leg. And I, and I reached down and it's completely gone. There's nothing there anymore. And then I'm like, okay, fuck it. That's, that's okay for now. But I'm like, what about my vision? When am I going to be able to see? He thought, we don't know. We don't know when, like only time will tell. And, and I'm like, fuck. At that, at that moment, I'm like pissed. And I'm thinking like, fuck, like, God, why didn't you take me? Like, why? Like, how, how am I going to live this life? How am I going to, I'm already, I was already a shy kid as it is, you know? And I'm like, fuck, now I'm missing a fucking leg. I'm, I'm blind. Um, why didn't you just take me out when I stepped on that IED? Why didn't you just kill me? Like, why? Why the fuck am I still alive? Um, I didn't understand, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to live. And, and I knew that my life was going to change forever, you know, and, and, and I was just asking God, why didn't he kill me? So probably I would say like the 20 something of November, that's when my right eye started getting light. No, at this point, they still didn't know how good it was going to get, but they knew that with time, it could have got better. And next thing you know, um, they fly me out from, uh, but from the East Coast to San Diego Naval Medical Center because I wanted to be close to home. I'm from LA and um, I get to, uh, to the Naval Hospital in San Diego and that's when I start my, my real recovery. And I don't think it was until like February or January where I was able to see a lot better, but I didn't know that I was gonna need glasses because I had never wear glasses in my life. So I didn't know what glasses could do for my vision. My recovery was, uh, was good. I, I think it was good because by 2010, um, they already had so much uh, support at the hospital. They already kind of, they prepared themselves for that, for that, um, for that year based on like Iraq and the early years of, um, of the wars, you know? So by, by the time I got to the hospital, there was already a, a program there for Wounded Warriors. We had to be there go to our appointments, check in with our, with our squad leaders. They, they already had a whole attachment for the wounded warriors. So we kind of went from, you know, I went from like my three, five command to my, to my wounded warrior command. So the transition wasn't that hard for me. It was more, fuck, I'm disabled now. So mentally I had to prepare myself for that. I had to realize that, um, this was going to be my new life and you had to adapt and you had to figure it out. But at first I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed to go out to the world and I was scared to like um, let people um, look at me. Like, what are they going to think? You know, do I look weird? Do I look, do I walk weird? Like, fuck, um, how do I make eye contact with people? Like, you know, it was all this shit that, that was running through my mind that I felt like obviously it wasn't normal, but I, I, I just knew that it wasn't going to change and I had to figure it out. One thing that I, I would say that helped me out the most was um, having my wife on my side, right? Having that one key person that, um, that you can talk to, you know, having that one key person that, um, that understands what you're going through because she, she has the best interest for me. Obviously, you know, we're together. We're going to be together, hopefully, you know, for the rest of our lives. So she feels my pain, you know, she understands. So having somebody like her, and realize like, fuck, there's somebody that loves you. You know, there's somebody that cares about you. Really, really helped me out. We as the service member have, have to understand that this girl is here next to you going through the same shit that you're going through. You know, yeah, you may go to combat, you may go see all that shit, but you're feeding all this shit to her too. You know what I mean? All this energy is going to her and you have to have some sort of um, compassion for this person too. You can't just be like, it's all about me. You can't just be like, I'm the one going through this shit. Like she's going through it too. So some of, some of the guys think like, oh, I have PTSD, I'm the only one. Like, nah, bro, like she, she's going through it too, you know? And then once you realize that you need to support this person too, it kind of gives you a, 
something in you that makes you become that leader again. You know what I mean? You're like, fuck, it's not about me anymore. Now I got to help her out too, you know? And it's like, sometimes that's what some guys need. You know, they need to find ways to stay thinking that they're doing something good instead of just focusing on themselves and being like, poor me, like, fuck, I'm suffering. And man, I'm, I'm going through this shit. It's hard. It's, it's like, no, like if you're married, you got to take accountability of, of your wife too and kind of like help her out too, you know, and just figure out a way to work with each other. And this is where like the, the divorce comes in, you know, this is where like people get tired, you know, and, and every time I hear about a, a veteran, he got divorced or, you know, shit's not going well in their life. I, I'm always assessing like the veteran too. I'm like, fuck, what could you have done better? You know, what could you have fixed? What could you have sacrificed too? You know what I mean? They, they don't see it, but you from the outside, you can see it. You're like, fuck, this is why it didn't work. Shit. I would have fucking left too. You know, I, I, I'm still young. I could fucking rebuild somewhere else if I'm, if I'm a girl, you know, or if, I, if I'm a wife. Like sometimes we don't see shit that, um, that we're doing wrong and that leads to that divorce, you know. 2015, I had two kids. They were both born the same year. They're Irish twins. They're 10 months apart. And then our third kid came out in 2018. And then finally, this last one, um, February 2023. It's been challenging having having a lot of kids. But me and my wife are going through what we went through at a young age, going through all this shit. It builds us and it got us ready for all this shit that we're going through, you know? Being so young and going through um, a life-changing injury and a whole different future that, that we got to plan for definitely prepare us for any fucking challenge that that is coming now we're older now we got resources now we um now we're stable we know how to we know how to work together to figure it out i don't think i i ever went through um anything crazy like anxiety or ptsd i think i i i became more immune to like losing friends you know what i mean it, it just became normal and and i think my wife um would tell me like fuck do you even have a heart you know what i mean do you even do you even care and i'm like i'm i'm the kind of guy that doesn't show a lot of feelings you know um but just going through everything that i've been through seeing um friends pass away and and everything i feel guilty looking like it like like if i'm hurt because the real people that are hurt are their families feel selfish because I'm like, fuck, I'm, I'm not going nowhere near the pain that they're going through. You know what I mean? So that's why maybe I, I create that, that persona where I'm like serious and, and I, I feel, I act like I don't care. But the reality is that I feel selfish when the family is really hurting even harder, you know? Sometimes my wife's like, man, you don't, you don't have feelings or what? I'm like, I do, you know, I have, I have feelings, of course, you know, and I care about all these people and I, um, and I wish people could stay alive forever. And I wish, um, people can be happily married. I wish people can feel the things that I feel, you know, find peace the way I found peace, find, find your common ground and just stay focused. But not everybody's going to have that, you know, people people are going to come and go. And, and I always say, um, the longer I live, the more people I'm going to see, you know, pass away or, or not be here anymore. You know, I will tell you that sports definitely kept me grounded. You know, when you say, um, did you ever fall into depression? Did you ever, did you ever go through, um, tragic events after you got injured? I, I don't think so because I found sports, you know, I found sports and I was able to stay busy. I was able to look for something to challenge me. And there was always a goal with sports. It was like, fuck, you want to be a good wheelchair basketball player? This is the step that, that it takes to be a good basketball player. You got to commit to this. You want to join a team. You got to stay focused. And to this day, um, I'm a paracyclist and I, and I hand cycle and I race. And just doing all that, I have a coach. I train Monday through, through Saturday. 
I stay focused, you know, I stay, I stay ready for my next race. I'm looking forward to a goal. So I feel like from day one to now, I found the purpose and, um, and I haven't lost it yet. So I'm competing at the highest level in, um, in paracycling, competing overseas, um, in world cups. And, and I've made my first team USA in, um, in, in Italy. And the goal is to continue and find myself, find a, a permanent spot there for the next couple of years and just race and be the best in the world. Because if I'm going to sacrifice my time with my wife and kids, there has to be a reward. I'm not going to do something just because it's for fun. And that's what's kept me grounded. And that's what's kept me focused. And I live my life with pain because I have a prosthetic leg. It hurts all the time. But when I get on that wheelchair, when I get on that, on that bike to transfer the pain to a different pain that feels good, if that, if that makes any sense, it gives me a relief because it's challenging to get on a bike and do four hours to do five hours on that bike, like nonstop. It's like not everybody's going to do it. I know a lot of um, our combat veteran guys are going through a lot. I just had a friend who um, he crashed and, and um, he passed away, but I know he was going through a lot. And I, and I knew, you know, the effects of combat. I know that there's going to be um, struggles along the way. Sometimes some people find peace for a while and then eventually they're like, fuck, shit's not going well anymore. It, it, that triggers and brings back, brings back that pain even harder. But um, he didn't let, he didn't tell nobody, you know, he didn't tell nobody about the issues that he had back home, about his personal issues and, and nobody knew, you know. I know a lot of the combat bits, um have PTSD and they're going through other moments and down the line, they're going to have issues with their personal life. Don't be afraid to talk to somebody about that too. You know, it's like, don't be afraid to let somebody know like, Hey man, I'm struggling at home. Like I need help. I need, I need, what kind of guidance can you give me? Like talk to other guys that are married, talk to other guys that um can relate to that struggle you're going through because if you hide it, it's gonna it's gonna catch up to you and it's gonna it's gonna make you make the wrong fucking decision and it, it eventually gonna get you killed and if you wanna take your life then i mean obviously there's no stopping somebody but if you can talk to somebody and reroute the way you think and keep living in this world i guarantee you it, it, it will work don't be shy don't be scared